Catch new episodes of Dial the Gate weekends at youtube.com slash dialthegate. And for the latest schedule, visit dialthegate.com. Welcome to episode 43, everyone, of Dial the Gates. My name is David Reed. Thank you so much for joining us for another weekend. Joseph Malazzi, writer and executive producer of Stargate, is back. He is joining us for his uh, fourth appearance to discuss mainly season six of Stargate SG-1. But before we bring Joe in, if you like Stargate and you want to see more content like this on YouTube... Um, it would mean a great deal if you would click the like button. It really makes a difference with the YouTube algorithm and will definitely help the show grow its audience. So please also consider sharing this video with a Stargate friend if you've got some Stargate buddies out there. And if you want to get notified about future episodes, click the subscribe icon. Giving the bell icon a click will notify you the moment a new video drops and you'll get my notifications of any last minute guest changes. This is key if you plan on watching live. And clips from this live stream will be released over the course of the next several days and weeks on Dial the Gate and GateWorld.net's YouTube channel. So as episodes uh, before, this one will be no different. We, uh, Joe and I, will discuss uh, the main subject at hand, which will be Season 6 and his episodes. And while we're doing that, you're welcome to submit questions to the mods in the YouTube chat on YouTube.com slash DialTheGate. And uh, after uh, Joe and I talk a little bit, I'll be going to the mods to provide me with those questions so you can participate as well. And without further ado, Joseph Malazzi, welcome back, sir. Hello, David. Good to see you. It's good to see you. How was your new year? Uh, my new year was, uh, as uh, most every other new year has been for the past 10 years, uh, <laughs> we're in bed by 10 p.m. and. <laughs> right. uh, and that's it. <laughs> we'll DVR the ball drop. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's great. <laughs> and congratulations on your development deal. Oh, thank you. You're referring to Powder Mage. Powder Mage, uh, yes. Yeah, the Powder Mage trilogy. It's uh, it's a series of uh, really interesting, atypical uh, fantasy books. That um, I, I read the first book, uh, Promise of Blood, back in 2017, and I blogged about it. And it's been on my radar ever since. And, um, you know, after working with uh, J.B. Sugar, who is a producer who, who did a show called Bitten, but he's also a director. He directed an episode of Dark Matter. Oh. Um, you know, he's been a longtime friend since his time on Dark Matter. We talked about working on something. And I put uh, Powder Mage on his radar. And um, lo and behold, the deal closed. And, uh, you know, full steam ahead towards development and uh hopefully a uh, series green light sooner than later what's um the elevator pitch for powder mage can you give us a, a brief synopsis of of what it is it sounds fantasy um it is fantasy and um it takes place in a call it sort of an alternate earth 19th century uh setting where uh, magic exists, but very specific magic. Um, it, uh, the thematically, 
It's um, the it's called flintlock fantasy in that it mixes gunpowder with um, with magic, and and in this realm are these uh, uh, individuals with uh, the innate ability to control gunpowder. They're called powder mages, and they're able to ignite gunpowders. In some cases, they're able to sort of redirect bullets. And um, when the, the the book opens, um, uh, Lord uh, uh, Field Marshal Tamas has uh, staged a coup and taken down the king of uh, the nation of uh, Adro. And um, he and his powder mages have essentially taken out the king's cabal of uh, magic users. And um, in, in essence, basically by staging this coup, they uh, have set, unbeknowingly, have set some, you know, wheels in motion that will spell uh, potential disaster for them and the nation. So mm-hmm. it's an interesting, uh, you know, uh, in that I'm usually not a big fan of magic because they're, they're you know, in a lot of magic shows or books, uh, there are no rules. I was about to say, magic. where are the rules? You know, there are no. You, you don't have know, to be basically. careful with them when you do introduce yeah. them. So yeah, exactly. Like you know, why doesn't Gandalf just disappear everybody out of the chamber and right. and teleport them out? Well, he can't do that. Why not? I don't know. Whereas in this, you know, in, in the Powder Mage uh, trilogy of books, I mean, it's called a trilogy. The first book, the first series is a trilogy, but there's another trilogy uh, following it, and, and, and a number of other uh, kind of short books. Um, the magic. Um, there's a framework to all the magic and you know, the rules, the rules are fairly straightforward and simple, uh, which is, which is one of the reasons I, I, I really like the book a lot. It's, as I said, it's atypical. Um, you know, well, yeah, what you just described, it sounded like the climax of a normal book and they, they write, yeah. they open right to it. Uh, spectacular battle so. sequences and really interesting, colorful characters. And also, um, you know, there's a lot of the twists, turns, shocks and surprises, political machinations that, uh, you know, I am always a fan of. So watch for it eventually or uh, follow the blog, follow me on Twitter and I'll keep you posted on uh, any developments. Are you looking to adapt the the published material or go in a new direction? No, I, you know, uh, um, uh, uh, Brian McClellan, who's the who's the author has done a terrific job of creating these world, these characters. Um, you know, it's funny because whenever I would be brought in to pitch source material like books uh, down in LA, I would pitch them. And whenever someone would pass, they would say, well, you stuck too close to the source material. And, you know, my, my response is, well, yes. I mean, thanks. That's, yes, that's, <laughs> that's the point. You know, fans of the book are going to want us to remain as true as possible to the source material. So that's one of the things, I mean, I've spoken to, to, to Brian and told him, I, you know, I, I want to try to remain as true to the source material as possible. And, and, and to that end, uh, he is going to be very involved mm. in the development as well. I told him that I'll, you know, I'll, you know, he, he's going to read everything I write and he can weigh in with comments mm-hmm. and, and suggestions. And, and, you know, when, when we'll come to build the series, we'll, you know, I, I will consult with him uh, since he is the oracle of all things of Powder Mage. Yeah, because you're not going to want to, you know, do just a one-to-one substitution. You know, I'm sure right. at, at a certain point somewhere, not necessarily oh. with narrative or anything else, you're going to want to introduce something new and you're oh, yeah, going to no, be the absolutely. author to do that. There will be newer elements. There will be, you know, I would say more than anything, detail. 
right. added to the world and the characters, the relationships, mm-hmm. and the story. Yeah, we. I just was rewatching the Hunger Games, Mockingjay mm-hmm. one, and the first fifteen minutes of it happen before that book starts. So yeah. it all fits in, and it's like you know what? I didn't even think about those scenes, you know. But those mm-hmm. scenes had to have logically happened. It's nice things about an adaptation that you can you can do just that. You can embellish and fill in detail. Exactly, so it's cool. So thank you for coming back with me. So uh, we had an introductory uh, interview. I guess in October now, November mm-hmm. season four, December season five, and we're in January. I've been really looking forward to discussing this season because it was a pivotal one for the show and for, I think, the franchise as a whole. The 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 show got its second or third wind at this point uh, with a transfer to Sci-Fi Channel. Um, it was thematically... Uh, a great season introducing a number of different concepts. You had a huge hurdle because very uh, to overcome because very arguably the conscience of the show in terms of the character voices was gone. Mm-hmm. And uh, Corin Nemec did a, a, a pretty darn good job s- substituting. Um, and then there, there was a fracture in the fan base at the same time throughout this season. Um, websites like Save Daniel Jackson emerged. I believe at this point that was that was what had happened. And there were... Uh, online forums were developing in such a way where sides were really beginning to be drawn. We've kind of gotten over the, uh, the honeymoon stage of the internet where everyone's all, oh, you know, you can think whatever you want to think. There's plenty mm-hmm. of room for us over here. And people are starting to take sides... And SG-1 Season 6 came out at about that time in 2002. What was your perception of this season coming back in and being like, okay, I guess we're not going anywhere just yet. So, year three. Yay! What do we do? (laughs) I I didn't mention, when we we joined, Paul and I joined Season season 4, it was with the understanding that we would do two more seasons. And we did those two seasons with, you know, when the fifth season ended... We assumed that would be it. And then Brad came in and told us that Sci-Fi had picked up the show Oops. for a sixth season. Oh, dang. Like, ah, okay. Um, and, you know, you know, for that reason, from a, you know, totally un, sort of uncreative, sort of a non-creative standpoint, from, from a, a delivery standpoint, it was is very different uh, for us. Uh, um, you, you know, one of the reasons being that, that when we... Uh, produced the show for Showtime, we didn't really get many notes per se. Um, but then when we shifted to sci-fi, the sci-fi executives had a lot to say uh, on the scripts, on, on the cuts, and then progressively over time became more involved as well. Uh, so that was different as well. And then, as you mentioned, uh, the departure of uh, Daniel Jackson and in the introduction of, uh, of Jonas Quinn uh, certainly um, changed things creatively and also behind the scenes. You mentioned uh, the Save Daniel Jackson campaign, and that was kind of interesting in that, um, you know, it, it almost created a fracture in the fandom that I think existed prior to, to Daniel's departure. And um, really what it came down to ultimately was the, 
the um, kind of sort of Daniel uh, supporters and the Sam and Jack supporters, which was kind of strange. So much so that, I mean, even after um, Daniel came back, and I remember an episode, what was the episode? We'll come to it. I think it's like a season seven or eight episode <laughs> where um, Sam and Daniel are, 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 are basically captured and um, they're being held in a, in, in a warehouse. And then O'Neill comes in and the first person he goes to is, da- is, a, is a, a Sam to see if she's okay. And that created such a, a sort of a, sort of outrage on certain boards because they were like, that. well, he should have gone to Daniel first. Oh my and, God. And <laughs> it was, you know, just kind of the smallest things. Um, but uh, yeah, this was, you know, it, it was always kind of present. I mean, my first taste of it was back uh, in my very first episode, Scorched Earth, where um, uh, O'Neill, you know, kind of presses the button to destroy the ship. And Daniel. That has Daniel on it, which wasn't in the first draft, but ultimately, you know, it, 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 uh, was included in the subsequent drafts and, and also, you know, appear, you know, obviously was, it was in the final cut. And there was also a scene, a post um, climactic scene where O'Neill and, and, and Daniel just kind of like have a little kind of talk it out and everything's cool moment, which was cut, uh, which I think would have helped a lot. But, you know, since then, you know, that was the beginning for me of, of my, uh, realization that there was a uh, certainly a, a a rift in the fandom when it came came to Jack's affections loyalties as well. Yeah. You know, it was I I don't think it was intentional uh, of you guys by any means. Um, but when Jack said in season five to Hammond about the Colonians. You cannot capitulate to these people. They are lying bastards. Mm. Um, people looked, uh, there was a sizable number of fandom that looked at Jonas as a lying bastard in mm. season six. And they had to kind of walk their way back from that to, to see this character as, okay, he was this. He was someone who would not stand up against his government. And then by the end of that first episode, did stand up against his government. But he still had a lot to prove in terms of a lot of those fans who were just like... Yeah, I, to know, be honest with you, I, I think there were certain fans who just saw him as a replacement. And they yeah. were going to hate him no matter what. Yeah. So, for instance, he, whether it was Jack's line or they held him uh, uh, responsible for Daniel's death. I personally thought all that was kind of a bit of a stretch. I felt like they were looking for excuses not to like the character. And, and I mean, you can, you can not like the character. I just, I, I would always take issue with the reasoning. Right. I mean, really the reason they didn't like the character was because he was, over, you know. Corin had an uphill thing. battle one yeah, way or the did. other. Yeah. Could not envy him for that. That was, that was a hard job, you know. So, but I think that he added such a flavor to that season that, you know, people with an open mind just didn't see coming. 
And season six has a real mixed bag of stories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'd, I'd love to, to get into some of them with you. Arguably, one of, one of my favorite Stargate shows is um, Descent. But before mm-hmm. we get into that, I want to get into the overarching arcs for the season. Uh, Anubis is now a threat. And I think my understanding was, you know, and I'm, I correct me if I'm wrong, that Anubis was probably there was there was a hopes to do some kind of a movie, and that Anubis was going to be the big bad for the movie. Um, but then you guys got a season six, and it's like, well, we're we're going to you know we're going to milk this one because he's he's our new villain, and and this is where we're going to go with him. So what was that? What was that sixth season like when you were guys were sitting down and discussing? Okay, what do we want our goals for this year to be? Because sci-fi hadn't greenlit a season seven yet; it was just going to be season six. Is that correct? Right. I mean, but to be honest with you, every year we went into this to, to the season, assuming it would be our last. From this point um, forward. Well, I mean, I guess season five. From forward. season five, yeah, yeah, five, five, and and yeah, this point forward, we always assume it would be the last and and so we went into it assuming you know this this was it the bizarre as it you know the situation was the fact that we were picked up for a sixth season the thought of a seventh season was just so beyond us that um really i mean it's kind of a good thing like every year we put kind of all our cards on the table looking to finish strong and then you know, usually a month or two before end of production, we would hear about a pickup and, and, and you know, either we had written the scripts already for the finale or basically we had, um, you know, a little time to uh, to write a, 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 a series, a season finale as opposed to a series finale. And I mean, like you said, Anubis was the big bad and you know, I, I kind of liked Anubis. He was, he was, you know, very different from... Uh, from um, you know previous uh, system lords that we had we had battled, um, you know there's a, a lot of uh, you know kind of um, you know I, I felt almost kind of a Star Wars uh, overtone uh, mm. to the character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you have a couple of those uh, uh, visual effects sequences in season seven to to emphasize that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know Rob Rob Cooper. <laughs> was and is a huge Star Wars fan, so, rightly so. Yeah. No, there. Um, yeah, and he. Let's be fair. Anubis is the only villain that um, arguably cannot be destroyed. Mm-hmm. You know, because he's stuck in some kind of subspace layer between human reality and ascension. Not even Omadasala can take this guy out. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those where she tells Daniel, Anubis can't be killed, not by you, not by me. And I just remember thinking when I, when I watched this, don't let the Jaffa hear that. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. So, but Descent. So we pick up with a great idea about Thor having been downloaded into that one particular um, Gould uh, mothership. And... Mm-hmm. Was there a chance to bring Michael back to do the voice work? Was that just not in your mind? You know, we'll just we'll just take some samples from the previous uh, season for this. Let's tell a cool story aboard a mothership aboard this existing asset that we have, which is this these these standing sets. Tell us about Descent. Um, well, that's a lot. Uh, well, first of all, I wasn't privy <laughs> to to Michael's conversation with with uh, with Brad before I understood it was very 
you know, amiable um, and, you know, Mike, it was a, ultimately Michael's decision. The season um, five departure. Yeah, the five, season five departure. So, I mean, you know, I, I with regard to the voice, um, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't really think, you know, at the time, I mean, to be honest with you, I, I wasn't as involved in the, you know, the post-production of the episode. So I don't think I was even, you know, aware that he was doing the voice, to be honest. Um, so that it was really kind of sort of an afterthought. Um, the episode itself is a kind of very unique in that, um, uh, you know, just the, uh, the mechanics of, of, you know, doing that scene where Jack and, and Sam are in the room filling with, with water. I'm like, well, how are we going to do that? We ended up doing that by going to an Olympic pool, you know, building that, that, you know, three walled set and sinking it. So rather than the water rising, really the the set is descending down and um, you know, just a lot lot of really interesting uh, sequences. There was one where Corin swims down and I think switches the crystal and swims back and he did it twice. And the first one, he dropped the crystal and the second one, he did it perfect. Well, he didn't do it perfectly. Basically, he 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 did it in one, you know, one long sequence. He must have held his breath for almost like two minutes. Um, but I don't know. There was something like some of the, the way this, the, the 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 prop shifted. I remember Paul didn't like, and we I remember we had an argument in the room. I'm like, this is one take. It's such, a, and he was like, no, no, we have to. And so we ended up, you know, in 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 the final edit, it's it's there's a cut in there. But, but he really um, held his breath. Yes. Yeah. Wow. That is exceptionally cool. I remember yeah. you telling us that at dinner a couple of years ago on Dialing Home. And it was like, he actually did that. Yeah. That was so neat. And having um, – it was an interesting dynamic because we see a couple of characters uh, play together that we don't normally see. Major Davis, uh, mm-hmm. played by uh, Colin Cunningham, was yeah. back. And Jacob Carter, played by the late Carmen Argenziano, was in that episode as well. It was a real, like, buddy episode. There, mm-hmm. there were so many layers to this because you did um, – great round of visual effects for that and the characters were just firing on all cylinders you know you had you you were also integrating jonas into the team with him trying to figure out what his place was and everything just fit you know Mm -hmm. the ending is fantastic with the gliders escaping underwater like can we even do Mm -hmm. this well we're gonna find out (laughs) (laughs) so everything just everything just fired on all cylinders for that episode yeah, it was a lot of fun, and, and for me, I look back on 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 this season. It was it was definitely one of my favorites. Night- the one we wrote, anyways. Absolutely, Nightwalkers. Ah, Nightwalkers. That's another very atypical episode that you can either love or uh, or hate. Um, but you didn't uh, typically do night shows. We did not. No, those were frankly always kind of a pain in the ass because they would kind of screw up the uh, the schedule. Because you always have to kind of push. Um, you have to have that, that that turnaround for the actors, a certain amount of you know time for the actors. So you know you you wrap at um, what is it? Uh, you know, one a.m. Then you you know your next day starts at you know what, it, what you know whatever it is twelve hours later one p.m. Right. Uh, the next day. So uh, yeah, it was kind of a fun atypical episode. This was the episode where I, I kind of you know speaking of, of Jonas and Corin. Uh, noticed um, his 
his penchant for eating. So, you know, and throughout, you know, the, the, the season, you know, he has a lollipop, he has the, he has the banana. banana. I think in this episode, he had the cup, the coffee mug, the coffee mug of tea. And I remember Rick was like, actually, that's, that's my bit. The, uh, you know, how, how, you know, Rick, yes, he would always find something in his, uh, in his coffee or tea or whatever he was drinking. (laughs) It's a great idea that an entire town of people have been taken over by premature right. cold symbiotes, you know? Yeah, this, this was a, we shot it on location in, um, oh shoot, what was the name of the, uh, it's used for every Christmas for movie everything. It was, used, it was used for every Christmas. What it was used it for a series called Chronicle. It was used for Once, uh, Once Upon, upon a, time. a Time. Yep. Um, I can't think of the name of the town. <laughs> yeah. Yes, but it was Steveston, yeah. Oregon in the show. Yes, yeah, Steveston. Actually, it is Steveston. Seriously? Yes, Steveston. There we go. There you go. Yeah. Um, there was a, a, a couple of, of my Stargate friends love that episode because they love the dynamic with O'Neill removed. You have mm-hmm. the first real episode where um, Rick is not really pleasant present i mean you you kind Mm -hmm. of did that in they kind of did that in season uh two uh with spirits but with this one you know he's removed pretty much for the entire thing and that dynamic of carter tilk and jonas really fit pretty well Mm -hmm. um there was uh there was a lot writing on that episode because if that if 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 the show didn't work with o'neill removed i mean if everyone was like well, you know, with, with RDA not in it, this is, it's not happening. We right. might have had a problem on our hands, but it's yeah. a great show. Thank you. I mean, you know, I, I look back on it and, and you're absolutely right. This is at a point sort of where Rick kind of wanted to spend more time with, with, with his daughter. And so, you know, we were, I think contractually he had less episodes. So, I mean, we had to pick our spots. And so, as it turns out, it fell on us to uh to write him out of an episode and this was uh was uh, one of the first ones mm-hmm. and you're right i mean i i think it was i, I think it creatively it worked whether it worked would work for the fans was sort of another question entirely absolutely and it it's interesting that the things that you had to do behind the scenes in order to accommodate um his his schedule uh for better or for worse you know he's 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 earned the time to uh, the, the the opportunity to do what he wants with his time, and you know mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. we were we were lucky to still have him involved with the show. He could have left, um, yeah. and so I, you hear stories of like abyss where you see Cliff Simon on the screen and the back of Jack's head. That was Dan Shea, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that was his stunt double. You you just you you had to take advantage of when he was there and make sure to get the material that you could get when he wasn't. Yeah. We, we had to be creative, like you said. Uh, and, and I think for the most part, it worked well. I mean, it's just that as, you know, time went on, um, you know, there was kind of a, a, a gradual transition of, of, you know, the O'Neill character from series regular to recurring to right. and how guest do you star. keep it fresh 
Yeah, but at the same exactly. time, you play with that in in two hundred. Well, you could you know have the characters refer to him a lot and get him on the phone every once in a yeah. while. <laughs> so, <laughs> hey, dog. Yes, sorry. She's, Hello. Uh, uh, this cranky thing. What's up? Look, it's David. She's Hi. a big fan. Hi, welcome to Dial the Gate. Shadow play. Dean Shadow Stockwell. Play. Oh yeah, Dean Stockwell. Tell us about Shadow Play. You know, um, to be honest with you, not one of my fondest episodes. Really? Yeah. Um, but, it, but it was it was kind of fun in, in, in that it, it allowed us to shed some light on um, Jonas's backstory. So for that reason, I really liked it a lot. Um, just, I don't know. I, I I don't know what it is, but just kind of uh, looking back. You know, there are those episodes that that you know you 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 always have fond memories of, and there was nothing really, uh, you know, negative about the, the 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 production of the episode, but just kind of as an just in general as an episode, mm. um, I didn't find it as strong as some of the other ones, and and other people may 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 disagree because they may may think, say like you know night night walkers or, yeah. or or descent are you know, atypical and not, you know, you know, really Stargate, but, uh, you know, and, and Dean Stockwell is great. Um, you know, a lot of uh, fun to work with and, uh, um, you know, I just, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, what did you think of the episode? Um, cards on the table. Yeah. Season six overall is one of my least favorite seasons. Yeah. Is that because of an absence of, Daniel is part of it is an absence of Daniel and nothing to say about about uh, about Corin. Corin was great. Daniel Mm -hmm. wasn't there. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that has always drawn me in about the show is is that the show asks the why questions. Why are we mm-hmm. doing this? What are the consequences of this? And Corin did a great job in episodes like um, uh, a natural selection. You realize mm-hmm. what you did, you know. Fifth, you mm-hmm. left him behind. So there was that, but there was a there was a texture to the season that did not resonate with me as mm-hmm. much as seasons four and five had. And I've always been trying to I've always tried to sit down and figure out, okay, now why is that? And mm-hmm. it's just that the um, the the type of stories that were tell, told, um, maybe maybe part of it was a little bit of Rick dialing back as well. This is really mm-hmm. when the texture of the show begins to to shift because you have to be a little less conventional in terms of your storytelling approach. Not everything right. that was reliable in past seasons is is reliable anymore, and you have to be mm-hmm. a little bit more clever, clever for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. And with an episode like um shadow play it's one of those where it was pretty obligatory that we were going to have to do a jonas episode sooner or later later and explore mm-hmm. what happened in terms of his socio-political planet world uh and the episode strength was going to live or die based on the on how uh, on what was going on on that planet and how good it was as a story yeah so yeah. Does that make yeah. any sense? No, it makes it, it makes okay. perfect sense. And and it's true. And, and like you said, some seasons resonate uh, more than others. Some episodes resonate more than others. Yeah. And, and, and sometimes it's kind of surprising which episodes, when I rewatch them, 
that I respond to and, and others that, you know, I, I, I recall, you know, reflecting on fondly that I'll rewatch and I'll, I'll say, mm-hmm. oh, I don't know. I mean, it was a, it was a fine episode, but. Mm-hmm. Having but, said that. I will speak now for a number of people who are screaming at me in mm-hmm. that I have lost count over the years of the number of people who say season six is their favorite. So huh. you know what? It's just a fact of the, uh, a fact that the infinite diversity and infinite combinations yeah. as, as the Vulcan. It well, say. I'll, I'll be interested to hear why, you know, why it, it worked for them. Because in my mind, I, I was, I, you know, I was trying to put my finger on it. I was like, well, maybe there were less mythology stories, but then I thought, not really, Not because really. I think we, there was always kind of a, an even mix of the mythology-laden stories and kind of those fun standalone um, episodes like Nightwalkers, mm-hmm. like, uh, you know. I think Shadow for Princes. me, for the biggest part of it, is that every time Wick was Rick was on screen, in my mind, because I knew that you didn't have him as long as you could, mm-hmm. when he would be on screen, in my mind, I would, like, start the timer. Be like, okay, now he's right. on screen. Now he's on screen. Now he's on screen. We have him for this for a little bit. These scenes really need to work, you know, in my opinion, so that I can really like maximize my enjoyment of them. Oh, and now he's gone again, you know. But so, but but that didn't change in subsequent seasons. In fact, right. actually, the situation got uh, even tighter. Even tighter, yeah. So I that that's a very good counterpoint. I I'm not sure then. So it's just the 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 total number of episodes are not really fairly a sum of the overall quality of a season Mm -hmm. um but i don't know so for me i mean there are episodes in there that are immensely strong descent is one of my favorites abyss Mm -hmm. is one of my favorites Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Prometheus and Unnatural Selection. You know, you guys had to take. We might as well go to Prometheus now. You okay, know, you had to take. Uh, it was time to take the replicators down a new evolutionary path, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah, Prometheus uh, was another one that that. Um, I mean, it was a fun episode. I love the concept, um, but it was kind of fraught with with, with issues. I think throughout. Um, I remember getting the first draft back and uh, Rick and, uh, and, and his partner at the time, uh, Michael Greenberg, mm. uh, would, uh, would give notes. Um, and I got the script back and I was like, Brad, I think Rick really likes this. Uh, the script is all like check marks all over. And he's like, no, check marks are bad. I'm like, oh, so he... Um, he could never, he, he never bought that the Prometheus could be hijacked. So no matter, you know, sort of, we, so we, we kind of, we did various revisions to sort of try and, and sell it, but he, he was never on board on that. with that. Yeah. Okay. So he was never on board with the, with the premise, which, which made, made it a little difficult. And, uh, and then uh, I think that this, that was the Delancey episode. Yeah. You killed Q. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of my favorite visual effects uh, shots from this season is uh, him uh, getting spaced. <laughs> Tumbling through space, doing a backflip. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You know, it, that, that two-parter had, uh, had so much going for it. You know, you introduced Kendall Cross as Julia Donovan. I think it's Kendall mm-hmm. Cross. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, you know, I mean, my issue with this 
If if mm-hmm. I am, this is like David airing all of his laundry with get it off your chest. Come on, you guys were great about selling stuff ahead of time and build up. Like you mentioned the Incarin mm-hmm. problem a couple of episodes before we see the Incarins. This is our first spaceship, and mm-hmm. there is no mention of the <laughs> Prometheus project at any point before. Right. So it doesn't mean that it wasn't going on. Obviously, you know, that you had everything in place for it to work. Um, that's my that's one of those things that I wish we had had the chance to hear murmurs of earlier yeah. on. Something called Prometheus, something called Prometheus. And yeah, then, that's whoa, a fair point. Prometheus. Yeah. You know? I want to know. How satisfied you are you were with the design? Um, I recall being pretty satisfied. Okay, I think okay. I, you know, I mean, you know, when, when, you know, when I think back, you know, you know, obviously the the some of the other ship designs always, you know, come more readily to mind than 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 kind of uh, like the destiny um, is, is like a gorgeous design. Whereas, you know, the Ori ships, I always thought they looked like, I think we discussed it, they look like kind of like toilet bowls. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I the, love the Ori uh, design. I think it's cool. Yeah. The, well, the, the, the Hatak uh, yep. vessels I loved. I mean, the Prometheus um, and, you know, all the Earth ships were, I, I always thought fairly utilitarian looking. So, I mean, they were, they were fine. They were fine ships, but um, you know, I, you know, in terms of the pantheon of uh, of uh, sci-fi spaceships, it for me, it, it's 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 not a top ten. <laughs> there we go. That's fair. Yeah, yeah. And it's and it's again, it's one of those where it's like you know, gonna, there are gonna be plenty of people who disagree, and mm. it's an aesthetic thing. That's that's what I was genuinely yeah. curious about. Uh, Prometheus and unnatural selection. They are one of the the. I won't. I don't want to say rare, but uncommon two parters in that, um, that it is a two parter, but it almost isn't a two parter because mm-hmm. the the setup is really the only thing that leads one into the other. Uh, mm-hmm. And this was the the winter break episode where, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Thor shows up and we've got Michael Shanks's voice back and uh, he has a mission for us for the replicators. And I'll never forget sitting in my living room hearing Joel's music start up because he had the best ending uh, tags, whatever you want to call that, whatever the, 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 yeah. the TV music phrase at the, cues yeah. at the end of the shows of any composer. Because he and that's a perfect example because he plugs the replicator theme in there and you just get goosebumps thinking, uh oh, what's gonna happen next? You know, right. the Asgard are calling us to help them with their bug problem again. Right. So send in the Terminix guys. Uh that did that just that whole show, you know, um it had to you had you had to tee it up for mm. I forget who did unnatural selection for them to was- was that Brad? Knock it out of the park. Um, let me see here. I'm curious. I believe it was Brad. But check it. Yep. Give him his due. Yeah. Mr. Story by Brad and Robert. Yeah. Written by, I tell you, by Brad Wright. Yeah. There we go. Absolutely. That, that, that episode had one of my very favorite endings. Just the, 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 the notion selection. of. Yeah. So, you know, trapped in that. Um, 
was like time dilation mm -hmm. uh, bubble forever mm -hmm. reaching. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, replicators all the way down to the core, mm -hmm. of, potentially to the core of the planet. I was so scared that they were going to just clamp onto the legs of of the ship, and you were just going to have to detach the the <laughs> landing gear and take off. Mm. <laughs> um, what was that like in that writer's room? to come to the decision of betraying, for all intents and purposes, a genuinely human replicator? You know, it's kind of interesting because it, it was really dependent on time and, and, and writers. Um, like sometimes we would sit in the room and we would, you know, beat out an episode, uh, you know, every act, every scene of every act, uh, and then the writer would go off. Often in Brad's case, he would just come in and want to kind of spin ideas. And we would kind of get a general notion of, you know, we would discuss and, and, and you know, sometimes when he would hit a wall, he would like talk things through. But he was uh, a, a very independent writer, I found Brad, that basically he, he seemed to be on his best when he was on his own. When he was armed really? with the ideas after an initial discussion, and then would just go off and 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 write his uh, you know write the script write the outline of the script, um, and you know that was all Brad uh, that decision and I, I I love it I mean I I look back on um, you know there were so many um, you know I want to put together a a a a, uh, a blog post of the top ten most controversial <laughs> Stargate moments. And and that was one. I mean, there's 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 back in season four, uh, O'Neill shutting the gate on poor uh, on Odo Rene Obarjanwan <laughs> and uh, Alar. You know, and this is another. There's there's yeah Alar. There's uh, there's uh, Shepard feeding uh, a human being to the to the wraith, and there's this moment, the betrayal of uh, five. I would also put up there blowing up all of Asuras in Be All My Sins Remember. As spectacular yeah. as that was. That one, that one grinds my intellectual gears to this day, um, and, I, <laughs> and I really am looking forward to getting in, into those with you later. But yeah, no, it's it showed the strength of the show um, that it was willing to go those places with its heroes, yeah, to do pretty awful things to innocent creatures um, mm -hmm. for the greater good. And saying that, you know, not every solution is going to be ideal, you know, but right. sometimes we just have to do this thing because what if we let this thing out? Yeah. What sometimes, if we let them out? Yeah. You're faced with, they're, they were faced with a, a dilemma and, you know, no choice is a good one. So you have to just choose your, the least, uh, the least offensive, you yeah. know, choice. And Carter pays for it later. Yes. Which was perfect, yeah. you know? And what a tour de force for Amanda in that episode with Patrick Curry. Holy cow. Oh, yeah. In season eight. Smoke and Mirrors. You did the television. Oh, yes. Day. Yes. Hey, Suji. Yeah. Um, I'm just going <laughs> to set her down here. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> there we go. Sorry. Yes. It opens Smoke with, for, yeah. it opens with um, arguably O'Neill's wet dream. <laughs> assassinating <laughs> Senator Kenzie. <laughs> and it's not him. 
And it's uh, another uh, callback, taking advantage of building on your own mythology with Mm -hmm. the mimetic alien devices from season three, before your time. Yes. Um, Tell us about Smoke and Mirrors. Um, You know, again, another kind of very uh, atypical episode, uh, which are the the kind of the ones that we really enjoyed writing, the ones that were not necessarily, you know, mythology-based, certainly not ancient based that was you know the ancients were more sort of rob cooper's Mm -hmm. uh playground um more than anything i just love having um ronnie cox back back and you know i think i mentioned i I ran into ronnie cox in la uh, a couple of years ago while i was uh i was pitching dc comics and i i had a a little time between uh between my next pitch and then he walks into this diner as i'm walking out and i was like ronnie and like i don't know if you remember me but i was at stargate he was like oh He's like, I had such a great time. You guys are always, you treated me so well. And, you know, it, it was just, I'm always heartened, you know, to hear, you know, either cast or crew, uh, you know, reflect fondly on, 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 you know, my past production. So whether Stargate or Dark Matter, it's, it's always very heartening. And, and, you know, he, uh, he played, frankly, an asshole politician, but Ronnie was, you know, is a, you know, a terrific guy. You love to hate Super. the character. Yes, yes. You know, yeah. there, there are just some that do that so well. It's one thing with because uh, when you go on online to the forums, you see people talking. Oh, I hate that guy. I hate him so much. I'm like, yeah, he's doing his job. I know, but I hate him. So other, right. so much better than being indifferent to a character. You know, right. an artist is not doing their job. Or at least not mm-hmm. resonating with you if you're not uh, being provoked by what mm-hmm. they're doing, and he did that in spades. Yeah, and, and th- th- by the way, this 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 episode is notable for uh, featuring a young Peter Kalamis as a Doctor Langham who gets clotheslined by uh, mm-hmm. by Teal at uh, at one point. Yeah. Yep. There's there's power in sound effects when Teal leans forward and you hear the chair yeah. creaking. It's like, <laughs> what? Um, Peter Kalamis, uh, what a goldmine. Yeah. Uh, he and Gary Jones did a, a sketch at GateCon a couple of years ago. And I have never, I have rarely laughed so hard. He is so funny. He is funny. He is very funny. Great guy. And I'm looking forward to having him on the show at some point here. Cause what the, the life that he brought to SGU, I would love mm-hmm. to have those three scientists on at some point. Cause that, that was such a fine group of actors, Jennifer yeah. Spence and um, and uh, it was Jennifer Spence. No, yep. was it Jennifer yep. Spence? Yes, yes, it was. And then Peter Kalamis, yep. and then um, oh, for God's sakes, Dale Volker, Patrick Gilmore, Patrick Gilmore. Yes, thank you for saving me from Google. All right, <laughs> Ronnie was back in Disclosure, and yes. you you um. So season six had a clip show. Let me ask you this. So mm-hmm. when you would get near the end of production on a season, mm-hmm. is that around the time? Because that's usually when the clip shows would appear. They would not be earlier in the show. Yeah. It Was it a – how often was it a, you know what, we really could use one to save on budget versus, you know, let, so much has happened. We're about to do a bigger show. Let's review you know, was, I would it, say, was it strictly budgetary I would say, or was it otherwise? Well, it, I'd say roughly 100% the first one and roughly 0% uh, the second. 
it was always absolutely always budgetary. So, and it always happened at the end because, you know, you have a certain amount of money to make the show and you have what's called a pattern budget, whatever, whatever, you know, I forget what at the time it was, say 3 million an episode. And so um, you would, you know, you would get the preliminary budget for an episode um, as you're going to camera and on the top, you know, so basically it's, let's say $3,600,000 and, you know, things broken down in terms of visual effects and what your guest cast and, and everything. And, and as, you know, it, you go through production and, and, and prep as a series progress, as season progresses, those numbers usually kind of shake, shake kind of money out and, and, and it gets lower and lower. But usually by the at a three quarters, two thirds, three quarters of the way through the se- season, you get a pretty good sense of how much money you have left, what you want to do in that finale and what it's going to cost. And, you know, as a result, you sometimes will need to do a, a clip show. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it's just it's, it's, it's really you know, an episode. I'll be frank, I'll be honest with you. Everybody hates to write. We're always like, oh my god, we have to do the, the clip show, and and you know, a, a bottle episode is another example. I think I'd rather do a bottle episode, obviously, than a clip show. And some of the best, um, um, I think, episodes tend to be bottle episodes. Or, or, I agree. Or, you know, because, at least with that, you're writing new content. With a clip show, yeah, it's literally yeah. insert scene here. You know, yeah. and you but, know, if the episode runs short, we'll yeah. insert more clips to make it work. Yeah, G- given the choice. However, I, I do have to say that a clip show is also a lot cheaper than a bottle episode. <laughs> so sure. anyways, we did the clip show and, uh, and yes, and, and, and Ronnie came back and, and, you know, as far as clip shows went though, this was actually, uh, you know, I think this was more entertaining than most, but maybe I misremember. No, I would agree with you because you are growing the sociopolitical, man, that's the first time I've used that word twice in one day, mm. um, landscape of the show. Uh, in such a way that it's going to impact the franchise forever. Mm-hmm. And you may not have known that really. I mean, you would have known that for for the series going in, but not necessarily the franchise because, you know, Atlantis wasn't really around that yet. But this is, this is key for that. So mm-hmm. by that token alone, introducing the Stargate program to five or six other nations was mm-hmm. a big deal. And so from that, we're gripped to see how they respond. All right, is mm-hmm. is China gonna play ball? Russia's clearly playing ball. They're getting they're getting some good deals out of this. They're they're on our side. Mm-hmm. But what's gonna happen mm-hmm. here? You know, and that was that was solid. Mm-hmm. You had some solid performances by those actors as ambassadors. Yeah, yeah. There's that, and as you said, um, you know, most most clip shows tend to be uh, episodes that look back with that moving forward. But definitely this one moved kind of the the big picture uh story forward uh and also it was a you know i remember for that one terrific shot a uh, director bill garrity where uh i think kinsey raises his finger and then basically <laughs> it's you know, that shot of sort of thor in the foreground <laughs> his little fingernail with his finger raised <laughs> yeah when you rack focus to him was that uh was thor saving the day uh in the original draft uh i believe he was I believe he was. Okay. What what a, a, a great what a, I did not genuinely did not see that one coming. Um uh, arguably uh Deus Ex Machina, uh but it mm-hmm. made complete sense because 
we needed uh, to see someone come in from outside of us to say, you know, this is why this is important. And I'm not going to hold you all to it, Mm -hmm. but don't make, don't make me, don't test me. (laughs) So right. It was solid. Prophecy. This was prophecy. Now that was a, a, yeah. Another Jonas episode. This was a tough one. Yeah. This was a tough one because um, I remember when we wrote, the the outline we didn't have an answer for the end the climactic moment where you know kind of there's that turn um let me let me uh if if i may insert my uh i'm a huge fan of lost and one of the Mm -hmm. principles of of lost when they started doing time travel stuff was uh you can't change the, you can't change what has already happened. It's happened. Yes. You you mm-hmm. can only you can only be responsible and change things in your present, but that's already mm-hmm. fixed. One of the problems with a lot of with some of these time travel stories is um, nothing can be changed until. And I think this was one of my issues with prophecy, um, and maybe I'm just misremembering it uh, until. The last scene, uh, the last uh, premonition, nothing could be changed except mm-hmm. except for this one. Because if this one does happen, we kill everybody. You know, so I, we can't allow you know, this one to happen. Yeah. No, I again, I, I, I don't recall the twist in this one. But I remember it, it was that exact problem. I mean, how do we... How do how can we stay true to... The premonition. The, the, yeah, the premonition without breaking the rules. And it was actually... Paul, my writing partner, who came up with the solution, which I thought was quite brilliant at the time. But I mean, I will have to sort of kind of uh, rewatch. I need to rewatch it too, to be perfectly honest. I should have mm-hmm. done that before this, but but um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a pretty um, uh, solid show. Lord Mott, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was Lord Mott. Yeah, and then Frida Petrani's uh-huh. husband was was in that episode as well. Uh, and it was one of one of um, uh, one of the better uh, send off episodes uh, for Corin. You know, I'm glad that we got mm-hmm. that one in there, uh, knowing what happened later um, before uh, before uh, he returned to his planet. So, mm-hmm. absolutely. Uh, I have questions submitted to us okay. from the fandom. Let me see here. Uh, this is interesting from Jet Ison. Joe, mm-hmm. what do you think um, would have been your path if you and Stargate had never collided? Oh, man, that's a good question. Um, I honestly don't know. I mean, at the time, um, yeah, I started my career working in, in, in animation and then you know, made a step up to live-action teen sitcom and then from there to one-hour action uh, adventure. Um, I would have stuck around that action adventure realm probably and maybe made my way to procedurals maybe <laughs> and wouldn't have, and probably would not have loved it there is something i certainly that... would have been less successful i think if it, if, if it were not for starting <laughs> there you know procedurals they they do fit a purpose uh they do have their place and you know when when i've got one on it's like 
it kind of sucks you in. But there's just something different about the the mechanics of them. Does, does it suck you in? I mean, I have been okay, told from people who words. who who produce procedurals that the whole point of procedurals is that they're the type of show you can watch while you're doing something else because they have a a very specific structure. I mean, I, and, you know, I look back at a show like uh, House was mm. the show that I, I enjoyed. I mean, I used to watch with my, my ex all the time, but I mean, there was a very a good point. definite formula. So you would open with whatever the, you know, the, the interesting in of the week uh, to the, to the, to uh, the case was, and then, you know, amidst, you know, the, the backdrop of the character relationships or whatever go, is going on in the serialized element, you have them trying to figure out, the team trying to figure out what the disease is. They get it wrong. They get it wrong. Finally, they figure it out. <laughs> and then in the last, you know, uh, act, uh, House has, you know, an epiphany and realizes, no, that's wrong. This is what it is. And then he saves the day. And that was it. I mean, every episode. Huh. Um, yeah, it is kind of like I mean, Power Rangers for adults, and, right? <laughs> and, and I think it's the same with procedurals, and and you know, so, a lot of people are, are very good at it, and and you know, once you know the formula, um, you can infer just, the rest. Don't, yeah, I don't think I could be good at it. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I, my my folks winter with me for three months out of the year, and they're here right now, and and the, mm-hmm. my mother is a huge fan of like Below Deck. And deadliest catch and housewives right. and when I'm up there hanging out with her, I get sucked into the damn things and I don't even care, you know. So there's that aspect of gimmickiness to it. I think that pulls me in. Uh, mm-hmm. But like, I couldn't watch a, a a series long term like that. I tried 24 and I didn't like it. You know, I I I, mm-hmm. I, I tried that series for for you know five or six episodes. Did you ever watch Jack Bauer? It's funny, I did. Uh, <laughs> I did, and then tell me, tell me I what had you think. A real, I had a real issue with the first season, to be honest with you, because it, it was, it's a type of show that shows a type of show that requires you to know exactly where you're going, mm. and it was became very clear that they didn't know where they were going. Where essentially characters who would turn out to be, I don't know, like uh, turncoats or moles later in the season took actions that you know in retrospect were completely idiotic and and for me basically i i the, there was this one incident i think i'm not even know which episode it was but his wife was uh and and daughter were kidnapped and they escape and so they they're in their car and they drive away from the kidnappers and rather than keep going to a police station for some reason the mother pulls the car over and then runs back up the interstate to see if they're still being followed, <laughs> and uh, which I, I don't know why. And then she comes back to the car, and for some reason, she she parked the car too close to the edge of a ravine, and the car fell <laughs> over into the ravine with the with the daughter in it. And then the mother is so overcome by her. Her, her horrific parking that claims <laughs> presumably claims the life of her daughter that she collapses 
and gets amnesia. So there's a trifecta there, stopping the car to go back and look, ha happening to park the car so close to the ravine and then getting amnesia. And I was like, okay, uh, they, this, at this point, the writers don't give an <laughs> you know, I don't want to say it, but basically at that point, I was like, come on. And, and look, as a writer um, watching TV and film, I know it's tough. Um, and and I, I do excuse some things, but then yeah. there are other things that are just inexcusable. And that trifecta, I think, looking back, I don't think there is a, a worse trifecta of, of, yeah. of, of, of unfortunate of, events. Yeah, events, yes, in television that I can recall. That show in particular was one of the earlier ones where we know the story that we want. We know where we want it to finish in, in each season. So what, what hoops do we have to make those characters jump through in order to achieve that end result? And mm -hmm. as a result of that, you can make characters do things that are not in their nature. And the audience go, mm -hmm. huh? You know? It, I, as a writer, mm -hmm. I would wonder how often you would kind of, and I, I'm sure there's a term for this, let the characters tell you where the story is going to go while you're writing. You know, I mean, obviously you have a structure, you have your outline, uh, but in some well, cases, I, you know, I would think that the story doesn't always go where it's where you expect it to, and the characters reveal things to you as they're talking. I'll, I'll be honest with you, um, it's less a case of the characters uh, telling you where they want to go as the other writers uh, <laughs> reminding you where the characters should go. So, um, you know. One of the great things about Stargate is that, you know, Rob and Brad had been there from the beginning. They created the world, these characters. So yeah. they always knew and they would call you on it. There, there was never, you know, it, it was always easy to try to do something and, you know, further the story, you know, some sort of a, an interesting motivation or convenient action you could take. But Brad and Rob would never let you get away. So, <laughs> you know. There you go. Raj Luthra. Yeah. Uh, at what Chevrons is SG4 on now? And will we see Jonas Quinn's return? We, I think we said, what did I say? Chevron 5 I locked. Chevron I think 5 was locked. Yeah, Chevron 5 is locked and we're still spinning because of this pandemic. Yeah. Um, everything is kind of ground to a halt. In fact, as we were going to go out and pitch, I had two sci-fi shows that I wanted to go out and pitch. We we're going to go pitch in October but things shut down and, you know, I, I've yet to hear from my agent about going out again. So, you know, one, one is a pandemic because it's hard to put things into production. Two uh, is the fact that there were a lot of shows in the pipeline mm -hmm. that were greenlit that were going to go into production. So it's kind of hard to greenlight new stuff with, you know, the pipeline clogged. So as a result, things have slowed down. It's frustrating. And, yeah. and, you know, I, 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 uh, you know, I, I totally empathize with the fans. I would love to get a new Stargate, uh, series going, but as you know, as long as, uh, you know, you know, you know, Brad is, you know, as I keep saying, is the guy to bring it to us, uh, you know, creatively. And as long as he has the backing of, of MGM, um, uh, I am confident that we will get a series sooner than later. There we go. Carlos Takeshi. Uh, was there a storyline for Jonas that you wish he could have done? Or did he fulfill his purpose? 
I don't know if there was a specific storyline that I think that we, you know, uh, wanted to do. I just, I think I would have liked to have seen more of the character rather than just, you know, seeing him off at the end of the season. And, 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 and that was that, um, it would have been nice to have him guest more. I think it would have been nice to have him back at least once more, especially after yeah. the dynamics of the show had changed. There's a reference to Langara being taken over by the Ori. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and um, he does come back for an episode that, that um, mm-hmm. uh, story by, by, by Corrin, where he, uh, he dates a sister in the episode. I keep saying <laughs> only because I think it's, it's supposed to be his girlfriend, but their haircuts were so similar. Right. <laughs> This is kind of creepy. I remember it's watching the, the dailies. It's, yeah, it's the yeah. fad on Langara. Yeah, yeah. Uh, John forty two. Were uh, any? Did, was there any consideration given to Jonas ascending? Uh, no, not that I recall. I don't think so. I don't think so. No. Captain yeah. Mark, Red Angel. Are you a fan of golf? <laughs> uh, no, absolutely not. I was the only producer on Stargate who was not a fan of golf, and I, I you know, I would we would come in every Monday morning and talk about our weekend. And 50% of the conversation, at least, would revolve around golf, either the, either <laughs> the golf they played or the, uh, you know, the golf they watched. And so I ended up starting, I started following Japanese baseball. So whenever they start talking about golf, I'd be like, oh, my God, the you know, Oryx Blue Wave are, are on top of the uh, Pacific Division. And, uh, you know, the Nippon Ham Fighters are, are making a run at the pennant. Good for uh, you. Yeah. <laughs> So, no, I never went on any of those golf trips, which is kind of, you know, in, in, in retrospect, kind of sad. I think, you know, they were, they were kind of more bonding experience. Like, mm. you, would, you know, go to Las Vegas and occasionally go to Hawaii and uh, or to uh, uh, Arizona. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've yeah. got a few good ones out here. Yeah, yeah. But, Chant- uh, yeah. Chantel Leo, if Jonas had stayed on SG-1, uh, what would you have liked to see happen with his character? That would have been interesting. Um, had Michael never returned. You know, that's that's a good question uh, that I never really thought of because he left after it was never uh, an option. Embassies. Yeah, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I I, I like Corin a lot, mm. and I think he did a great job. So, um, you know, it would have been great to to explore more of his backstories. Certainly, explain uh, um, focus more on on Langara and 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 maybe what potential role he could have played uh, in in kind of the political and social. Uh, situation, the evolution of things back on his planet. Was there a, a a plan to bring him into SGU when we visit Langara? No. Okay. No, to the best of my knowledge, no. But that was, that was a a, a Brad uh, okay. episode, so you would have to ask him about I that. I will. Uh, Jacob Olihars, were there any plans to ever bring back Jennifer Haley? Um, No definite plans, but she's a character that I, you know, I... I when we wrote the character, it was with the intention of of, of having her come back mm-hmm. and, and and making her sort of a uh, a junior Sam Carter. Um, but you know, it, ultimately, whenever we would sit down at the beginning of it or at the end of every season and look ahead to the next season, it was always story driven, right? Mm. So you know, who, whoever had a great idea for a story, whatever that story would be, we would we would we would um, sorry. That's okay. We would uh, we would kind of develop that or spin that, and I guess we just never came up with a great Jennifer Haley story. Makes sense. 
Losing patience. I'm almost done. I understand. <laughs> She's like, where's dinner? A <laughs> couple more and then we're good. RMRV. We're good. What do you think, Joe, is the most important thing for a good story? What's the most critical element? That's an interesting question. Well, there are two things. One is the hook. I mean, that's what's going to sell your story. Um, so, you know, I, I, the, the great idea that you can just, you know, that, that is the seed of, of, of the story. Uh, and it's frankly the hardest thing to come up with, a unique, uh, engaging idea. So the idea, I think, is, you know, the most important. But, you know, as I've often said, viewers tune in for the hook, but they stay for the characters. So, you know, the hook will sell a series. The hook will, will, will green light your episode. But at the end of the day, it's always the characters and the character interactions. And, and frankly, it's always the small moments, mm. uh, you know, the banter, um, you know, kind of the, the, the throwaway lines, the looks that, um, that, that fans will uh, always remember more than anything. I hear you. Uh, two more. R. Redev, do you read Stargate fanfic? I did do you? not. I never did. I mean, legally, we were we were just not allowed to read fanfic. That makes sense. And, yeah, got to protect yourself. Yeah, and and I and after the series ended, I never did either. You know, in the event that a Stargate show ever came back, um, and I was fortunate enough to land on on the writing staff, I wouldn't want someone to say, "Hey, you know, this is my you know uh, uh, my teal opens the ice cream shop." Uh, fanfic that you read back in 2012 and i'll be like holy shit uh so you know i for for that reason i just try to avoid that's true and finally stefan ames uh Mm -hmm. was there ever going to be more cooperation between the countries in stargate other than atlantis uh planned that never panned out there was some discussion about that you know and exploring some of the other countries and 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 uh and uh their ship programs and um Mm. i think we're discussing the possibility of a China gate at, uh, at one point as well. Um, yeah, we've got the Sun Tzu flying around out there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there was, you know, I think in the planned third SG one script, Stargate revolutions, uh, which would have kind of focused on um, the gate, the, the program going public other nations would have figured it, you know, very much into that story as well. But alas, that like Stargate extinction is, uh, uh, on the shelf. Yeah. On the shelf. Joe, this has been a delight as always fascinating discussion. You know, I always, when I come back, you know, it's all part of me is always like, is this going to be as good as the last ones? And, you know, I, 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 f- I feel like we are gaining momentum that this is just snowballing and getting better and better. And I really appreciate you being on the show. Um, oh, well, thanks this has for, been fascinating. for having me. So you get that little one fed. I Well, actually, my wife is already on. Oh, well, there we go. Yes, yes. <laughs> but I appreciate your time, and I look forward to talking to you about Season 7 in February. Do I. You take care of yourself, sir. Thanks, David. Take care. Bye-bye Easy. now. Joseph Malazzi, everyone. Thank you for tuning in, and thank you so much for submitting questions. Thanks to Summer, Ian, Tracy, Keith, Jeremy, and now Reese for uh, moderating and organizing the questions as well. Um, So one of these communication stones is screen used and one is screen accurate. 
And for the month of January, Dial the Gate is giving away the replica. To enter to win, you need to use a desktop computer or a laptop computer and visit dialthegate.com. Scroll down to Submit Trivia Questions, and your trivia may be used in a future episode of Dial the Gate, either for our monthly trivia night or for a special guest to ask me in a round of trivia. There's three slots for trivia, one easy, one medium, and one hard. Only one needs to be filled in, but you're more than welcome to submit up to three. Please note the submission form does not currently work on mobile devices. Trivia needs to be in for this round. It needs to be in by February 1st. If you're the lucky winner, I'll be notifying you via your email address right after the start of the new year to get uh, your address to get you the communication stone. So thank you for that. And I do have fan art this week from My Indigo Sky of Jonas Quinn in celebration of discussion of season six. Very, very nice. And before we let you go, if you like what you've seen in this episode, I'd appreciate it if you click the like button. It makes a difference with YouTube's algorithm and will definitely help the show grow its audience. Please also consider sharing the video with a Stargate friend. And if you want to get notified about future episodes, click that subscribe icon. The Discord link has expired. I've put the correct one in um, the show notes panel on YouTube already. And uh, by next week, I'll have the new Discord link on the screen right here. So I do apologize for that. But the correct link is now in the show's description. So that's what we have for you in this episode. Mr. David Blue, Eli Wallace, will be joining us in just a few minutes. So I'm going to go get him and get this set up here. My name is David Reed. I really appreciate uh, your time. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you again to Joe. And we'll see you on the other side. Dial the Gate is hosted and executive produced by David Reed. The producer is Darren Sumner, co-produced by Linda Fury. The composer is Neil Acree. Animations by Bryce Ors. The production assistant is Jennifer Kirby. Moderators include Summer Roy, Keith O'Mell, Tracy Noller, Jeremy Heiner, Reese M., and Anthony Rowling. Logo design by Deborah J. Bell. Additional effects by Thomas Tots, with contributions by model makers Chris Baker, Stephen Barr, Kevin Zabo, and Tom Paris. The archivists are Linda Fury, Zachary Adams, and Fred Eric Marcoux. For general inquiries for submissions, please contact us at dialthegateshow at gmail.com. Visit our website for the upcoming schedule, as well as an archive of our past episodes, at dialthegate.com.